welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kington Knight. The focus of this episode is David Lewis's Ramsian Humility. Lewis died in 2001, but this paper was published posthumously in David Braddon Mitchell and Robert Nola's Conceptual Analysis and Philosophical Naturalism, MIT Press, 2009. In addition to all of the individual objects in the world, there are the properties that those objects instantiate. Apples and cherries instantiate the property redness, planets and billiard balls instantiate mass, electrons and neutrons instantiate spin. There are all sorts of properties, but not all properties are created equally. Some, it seems, are more natural than others. For example, the property of being 10 metres from the Eiffel Tower is, it seems, less natural than the property mass. And perhaps the property redness is somewhere between these two. More natural than being 10 metres from the Eiffel Tower, but less natural than mass. According to David Lewis, the most natural properties, or the perfectly natural properties, are the fundamental properties, and fundamental properties are intimately tied up with scientific theorising. Scientists articulate their theories and laws in terms of fundamental properties. Coulomb's law, for instance, says that objects that instantiate the property charge exert a force on other charged objects proportional to the magnitude of the charge instantiated by the objects in question and inversely proportional to the square of the distance of their separation. Now imagine that scientists were able to formulate a complete and final theory of everything. According to Lewis, such a theory would yield a complete inventory of all the fundamental properties and the roles they played in the workings of nature. Let's think about a simpler example to illustrate the general idea here. Imagine that we were concerned not with a complete final theory of the universe, but with the theory of a bicycle. Then we might construct a final bicycle theory along the following lines. The pedal is attached to the crank, which turns the front gear, which is attached to a chain, which turns the back gear, which rotates the rear wheel, and so on, until we have a sentence sufficient to imply the complete workings of a bicycle. Some of the terms in our bicycle theory are purely theoretical, in the sense that we have no antecedent understanding of their meaning, independently of the role that they play in the bicycle. Examples include pedal, crank, gear, chain, wheel. The bicycle theory just tells us what role these things play in the overall workings of the bicycle. The complete final theory of the universe is analogous to this bicycle theory, but instead of terms such as pedal, crank and gear, it will include terms such as charge, mass and spin. These terms in the final theory are what Lewis calls theoretical terms, and he takes it that they will name the perfectly natural or fundamental properties. Hence, the final theory will yield an inventory of fundamental properties, and all it will tell us about these properties is what role they play in the workings of the universe. All the bicycle theory tells us about theoretical terms such as pedal and crank is what the things that play these roles do. It tells us what role they play in the working of the bicycle. But for a particular bicycle, there is something that plays these roles. For example, a metal shaft plays the crank role. Similarly, Lewis says that certain things play the roles designated by theoretical terms in our final theory of the universe. The property charge plays the role designated by the term charge in the final theory and so on. 
Crucially, Lewis thinks that while there is a particular property that plays the charge role and another property that plays the mass role and so on, these theoretical roles in the final theory could have been played by different properties than the properties that actually play them. For example, the property that actually plays the charge role could have played the mass role and vice versa, or perhaps some different property altogether, call it schmass, could have played the mass role. This is analogous to saying that the thing that actually played the role of crank in the bicycle theory could have been played by something else. The metal rod that actually plays the role of the bicycle's front fork, perhaps. Or perhaps something different altogether, such as a wooden rod, could have played the crank role. In short, Lewis thinks that there are multiple possible realisations of the final theory of the universe, in the sense that there are multiple different combinations of properties that could play the theoretical roles denoted by terms such as mass and charge. But all that we can know about are the theoretical roles. This is what science delivers. Since there are multiple possible occupants of these theoretical roles, we cannot know which properties actually play the theoretical roles articulated by our scientific theory. It follows, according to Lewis, that we are irredeemably ignorant of the natures of fundamental properties that play the theoretical roles discovered by science. All that science tells us is what things do. Massive objects warp space-time, charged objects exert a force on other charged objects. So all the final theory will tell us is more about what things do. But this theory of what things do is consistent with multiple different combinations of properties playing the theoretical roles, so we cannot know the natures of the properties themselves. This irredeemable ignorance of the nature of properties is what Lewis calls humility. But he is not concerned about this sceptical conclusion because, as he puts it, whoever promised me that I was capable in principle of knowing everything. Perhaps Lewis is right that we shouldn't be so worried that there are some things, such as the nature of fundamental properties, that we are in principle incapable of knowing. But on the other hand, one might have concerns about the metaphysics of properties required to generate this humility. Why think that the properties denoted by our terms, mass and charge, could swap roles? Maybe what it is to be the property mass is to play the role that it actually plays, i.e. of warping space-time. In other words, perhaps it's of the essence of properties to play the theoretical roles that they in fact play. In this case, properties could not possibly swap roles, and any property that played the mass role would automatically be the very same property that actually plays the role, so humility would be avoided. In other words, why think that there is more to properties than the theoretical roles that they play? The key premise of Lewis's argument for humility, that fundamental properties can play different theoretical roles than they actually play, for example, the property that we pick out with our term mass could possibly play the charge role, is, I suggest, intimately tied up with his commitment to Humeanism. Humean metaphysics, for which Lewis is the poster boy, in the eyes of many at least, is characterised by the denial of necessary connections in the world. Accordingly, Lewis denies that there are any necessary connections between fundamental properties and the theoretical roles that they play. Hence, properties could possibly play a variety of different theoretical roles. Because properties and theoretical roles are modally separate in this way, i.e. they possibly come apart, knowledge of theoretical roles, i.e. the knowledge delivered by science, cannot yield knowledge of the nature of fundamental properties. But if we deny humanism by denying that properties and their theoretical roles can come apart, because theoretical roles are of the essence of fundamental properties, then, it seems, we can avoid Lewis's conclusion that we are irredeemably ignorant of of the natures of fundamental properties. Humans will maintain that the claim that properties have essences which are constituted by their theoretical roles is too strange to take seriously. Essentialism, they will say, 
is an outdated Aristotelian idea that was put to bed by Quine and others. It's up to us then to decide what's more palatable, the idea that we are irredeemably ignorant of the natures of fundamental properties because it's possible that properties switch their theoretical roles, or the idea that the essences of properties are given by their theoretical roles. I happen to think that Lewis's Humean stance on this issue is slightly stranger than the supposedly outdated Aristotelian essentialist view, at least as it pertains to properties. But I think there's an even stronger reason to reject the Lewisian view of properties. If properties and their theoretical roles are necessarily connected, perhaps because property essences are given by their theoretical roles, we can say that properties are metaphysically responsible for the evolution of the universe over time. This then allows us to develop compelling accounts of the laws of nature and possibility and necessity, what philosophers call modality, in terms of fundamental properties. Fundamental properties can be the ultimate explainers of natural laws and of modality. Lewis, on the other hand, is hamstrung by his humanism in a way that compels him to adopt very problematic accounts of the laws of nature and modality.